Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden. This is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 264, I have the honor of introducing you to a Compassion International graduate. He lives in the Dominican Republic, and his name is Jonathan Almonte. That literally changed my life because of the fact that the answer of God for me and the understanding that I was believing indeed that I was a mistake, I was believing that God was not good for me. This letter helped me to understand that God provided this women called James thousands of kilometers away in a place called Michigan, celebrating Thanksgiving. But these women wrote a letter to say, I am thankful for you. You are special. You're not a mistake. One reason I am super pumped about this interview is I feel like it's the answer to a question you guys have asked me. You have been burdened by the news, by seeing tragedy and poverty around the globe, and you're wondering how to help. You are maybe a mom of little kids, um, school-age kids, teenagers, and you're feeling like your own life is full, and yet your heart is breaking for what you're seeing and what you're hearing about, even when you heard about my trip to Mexico and the Central Americans that are fleeing and having to leave their homes, you're going to be inspired by Jonathan's story. You're going to see how the women who chose to sponsor him drastically changed the trajectory of his life and how he is staying in the Dominican Republic and helping with community stabilization and changing the system. And so we see that Yes, we do not mom alone. God is with us. His presence is with us. Those moms and those communities do not mom alone. And then as a community, we can get the privilege of walking alongside these moms. Jonathan's mom, who found herself in dire situations, not treated like her spouse God intended for him to treat her. And we get to be the answer. We cannot change the world. God does that. Jesus does that. But we can change the world of one person. Stick around to the end of the show. You will hear an easy way that you can do just that and invite your children into it. Set a great example for them. Also, catch a behind-the-scenes video of me doing this interview. All those details are at the end of the show and in the show notes. Before we get to that, I want to share a great resource for you. If you have a child between the ages of three and seven and you are wanting them to learn how to read in record speed, check out the Phonics Museum app. It's in your iOS store. You can try it out for free for two weeks. And here are some things that my son loved about it when he was learning how to read. It is super interactive and unique for every learning style because there are videos that are live action and animation. There's games. There is over 900 videos, games, and songs, and exercises. You explore art and animals and history as they're learning the phonics rules and how To read, it's based on a Veritas Press phonics curriculum. After your two-week trial, you can sign up for a monthly subscription or an annual subscription, cancel at any time, and you can have up to three children on an account. Go check it out, Phonics Museum, in your iOS app store. All right, let's get to my chat with Jonathan. Here we go. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you, Heather. It's a joy to be with you. Well, I'm honored that you could talk with me today. I think this is my first interview with someone in the Dominican Republic. So thanks for making a first happen six years into podcasting. I am excited to know that. Well, I am thrilled. My husband and I actually, before we were married, went to a concert in Illinois and we heard about Compassion. 
and chose to start sponsoring a child then and continue to sponsor and just got our card in the mail that it's been 20 years that we have been sponsoring uh, through Compassion. And so I'm just really curious to know a little bit more of the behind the scenes and your experience since some listeners may be skeptical, like, is my money actually helping? Is it is it being taken? And then they're just showing me a picture of a kid, but there's not really any change in their life. I would be curious to know your story so we can bolster their confidence a little bit. <laughs> oh, sure. Thank you, Heather. Uh, it's a great joy and congratulations for this goal of having 20 years of sponsoring. For me... I do love actually speaking and sharing my story, not only for those who are merciful, those who have a call for compassion, but also for those who, for a good reason, have questions uh, regards uh, the Ministry of Compassion or any other organization. In my specific case, poverty uh, means the path of my life should maybe will be dead or being in jail. I was speaking last Saturday with a group of students from one of the compassion centers, and I was sharing my story. And basically, it starts with my mom being raped by one of her uncle, being in a Latino, macho community culture. She was uh, rejected by her family because nobody believed uh, that she was indeed abused by her uncle. Therefore, now she's homeless working 24 hours in a restaurant, sleeping in a table without a house. That's how she met my father, who promised to marry her and provide for her. And that's how I was born. Of course, they didn't get married. And, and at the end, the reality happens to be that my father has a wife and four daughters. And now my mom is homeless, working 24 hours, sleeping in a table and pregnant. Mm. He wanted my mom to abort me, which she didn't do, and I appreciate that. Wow. And even though abortion is illegal in the DR, it, women still do, does it uh, through many ways. And, and, and one of the things my mom was thinking is, was, I'm going to face the reality, and I'm happy she faced it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this conversation right now. I was born in one of the worst neighborhoods in, in the city of Santo Domingo. You are from Chicago. I bet you're familiar with the reality that some of those ghettos area deal with drugs, dealers, yeah. prostitution, gangs. And that's the reality where I, where I grew up. And in fact, when my mother heard about the local church, th this is the thing. We never knew about compassion. Mm -hmm. uh, we always heard about a church, an evangelical church in our community serving children. And somehow my mom went there apply for me to get into the compassion program. And again, we didn't know the name compassion. We knew about the program of the children. And before that, my shoes were broken. I didn't have a uniform to go to school. You need a uniform to go to school in the DR. Uh, we uh, used to work as a diver and, and youth especially asked me if I have seen sharks in the Caribbean Sea. I haven't, thanks God. I've been a diver. <laughs> in a dump site area, basically diving literally into the garbage, looking for plastic to recycle and buy some bread and a piece of chocolate. And, and this is not nice. A piece of chocolate mean 
a good meal for me because I, I boil water, put the chocolate on it, and that will be my lunch. Maybe the only food that I will have during the day. And my shoes were broken. I had to ask someone to lend me his uniform in order for me to go to school. And listen, this reality of poverty, where I became aggressive and I started to fight because my friends selling drugs, my friends who were part of the game, uh, had the nicest sneakers. Back in the 90s, I'm speaking 95, 97, uh, Jordan sneakers were very, very famous. And I do remember my, I have to take cardboard to put it into my shoes as a sole because my, my shoes were broken down the sole. And, and sometimes they were talking. We, we say hungry shoes in the U.S. I, I hear that people say talky shoes. Mine were both talking and hungry because they were broken right in front. And it was like they were talking. My mom used to tape them for me to go to school. She knew education was the way out, out of the situation uh, we were going through. But still, I'm selling juice on the streets. I'm diving in a garbage area without hope. So this ministry for me meant my life. Uh, my life is after and before the ministry of compassion in partnership with the local church in my community. That's this, the easiest a simpler way I can explain uh, compassion. Well, and I love that you gave us the perspective of a child and what's mattering to you at the time. You know, school, looking good, having good shoes, like that's a basic, my, ki- my kids are like that, you know, we can connect with those things. Wanting to eat, I mean, core basic need and desire. And so how long did your mom, she, she applied, but how long did she wait until you were matched with someone? When I, I do remember I got into the church and one of the uh, curious things was that they, first of all, they introduced me to a group of children, a classroom with children around my age. Uh, suddenly, I received a school uniform, school supplies, new shoes. It was like receiving three things that I needed right. without doing anything, which was not normal for me. I had to work hard in order to bring, we were making sometimes $5 a week, $7 a week. It will depend on how the juice selling or the recycling uh, diving thing when and if days were good I'll make one dollar fifty cents it will depend but here without giving anything they will provide everything at the beginning uh, I didn't wait that long but I do remember it was like three years hmm. and and I say it was not that long because I have known children that wait even for five or ten years Right. So in comparison, you know, now, now that you're working with compassion, but at the time, three years is a long time in a child's life. Yes, yes, yes. And you, you are very right. I'm speaking, of course, from the perspective of now being a compassion employee. But back then, I do remember that my friends, when the letters arrive to the church, there will be someone that we call the sponsorship assistant. Back then, it, we, we used to call her Aunt Amaris. And Aunt Amaris, we, we used to say, you know, children will know those complicated names. So she will come with a bucket full of letters. 
and she will deliver those letters by classroom. And I do remember vividly that they will call uh, loudly in your classroom, Pedro, this is your letter from your sponsor. Uh, Juan, this is the letter from your sponsor. Or Gerald, this is the letter from your sponsor. And those were the days when I, when, when I felt not, I, I don't want to use the word rejection, but I felt like not loved by someone as my friends were. And that was once you were in the compassion program. And that is in the compassion program. Yeah. So in the compassion program, you're seeing the differences between sponsors. And it, and it reminds me like the value of those letters. Yes, definitely. And again, I received, as I said, the school uniform, the school supplies, the meals that I received at the church and, and all of the benefits like shoes and uniform and all of that. But the letter, there, I do remember a friend who we used to call him the kings of letters mm. because <laughs> this guy was receiving maybe two letters every month. Wow. It was insane. And if you're not a sponsor, you, of course, you will not receive the letters. And so the kids that were sponsored are going to school with the same kids that are not sponsored? Yes. When a family apply to get into the program, we don't have any sponsors because, again, sponsors, uh, when they sponsor a child, they sponsor a person. Therefore, if the child is not registered into the program, there is no child to be sponsored. And that's a, that's a good uh, argument. Every child that someone sees in a web page or in a concert is a real child. Right. Uh, and that's the process that happens when the child gets into the program. They get into the program. They receive all the benefits but the sponsorship. Compassion, of course, cover the stances. And that's the other reasons we need the sponsor because that's a big burden for the ministry to support those children without sponsors. And I see. So they apply and they get in, but they may not be sponsored. Yes. And so they're holding, it's requiring that center to cover the costs. Yes. Yes. Mm, okay. Is that true in all of across compassion or at that particular location? It is true all over the world. Okay. I didn't understand that part. Yes. There is a projection. We know that we can introduce those children into the program. Let's say 10 of them. And now we are going to work to get those 10 sponsors to support those children. But at the beginning it's compassion covering everything. Got it. I, I didn't never understood that 20 years Never understood that piece. And so the center understands how many they can cover without sponsors. Um, and so they, they do have to limit how many they can even accept in the program. And that's one of the hardest things. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about that. It is one of the hardest things. Uh, there, there was a story of a doctor, Jose Frank who came out and Jose Frank wasn't a sponsored child, but he couldn't get into one of the programs that we had that now we change. But that's, that's a good example. We used to have a university program. Now we change that because of what we are talking and Jose Frank and I, we apply at the same time and he couldn't go. I happened to go in to work, to go into the program, but he couldn't. And, there were many, and, and this is in the context of two sponsored children. 
But in the context of Jeremias, for example, one boy that I know, he's now an engineer in technology, a computer engineer, but his sister got into the program. He never could. And the reason was simple. They couldn't find a sponsor for Jeremias. And therefore, he couldn't be part of the program. Jeremias does remember attending the church because, again, this is the, the, there is a good thing about working with the local church. The church will serve children even though the church doesn't have capacity to, sponsor, to get a sponsor for them. I do remember visiting a church, and, and I do remember we were having fun activities with sponsored children in, inside the church. And there were children outside the church who couldn't be part of the program. And I realized that. And understanding the burden in the heart of a child and understanding myself coming from the same background. I talked to the pastor in a, in a very polite way, but in the same way angry. And, and I say, Pastor, we shouldn't have children outside of the, of the gates of the church. Uh, and I'm willing to pay for their breakfasts if that's mm-hmm. the problem. And, and the pastor happily uh, smiling. He took me to the kitchen and he said, Jonathan, follow me. And the kitchen was full of breakfast and food and, and the volunteers at the church were preparing, were preparing the food and all that. And he asked me, now he was serious, and he said, for whom do you think is this food made for? And I was like, I don't know. The children inside the church it's saying those sponsored children already have breakfast. And he said, we're waiting for you guys to finish your program. And we're going to deliver those food for another program we have for the children outside who are not sponsored children. We work with together with Compassion and we serve 400 children through a sponsorship. But we serve 400 more children that, that are not sponsored children. We are not the Church of Compassion. We are the Church of Christ serving the children of this community. Wow. And that for me makes sense. Like why Compassion works through the local church. It was the happiest one of the happiest days of my life because I left that community understanding this, Heather. It is very complicated to convince people on the need to share what God has given to them on, in the understanding that those children not only have need of material things, but they need Christ. They need the gospel. They need salvation. And that, that's, the for me, the most important thing that compassion can provide through the local church is that it's a spiritual poverty being fed through the word of Christ and those children uh, getting salvation and doing that through the local church, understanding that the church will do that with those children who are sponsored by compassion and also for those who are not sponsored by compassion. We in the VR serve 68,000 children and yet 1 million children are experiencing extreme poverty every day. If you have ever watched VeggieTales or What's in the Bible, you know that Phil Vischer has this unique gift for unpacking biblical truth in a way that engages kids. Well, he has a new already best-selling children's storybook Bible, the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids, that includes 52 stories that are whimsically written, vividly illustrated, with a family connection to help readers learn, talk, and pray together. Parents are already loving this Bible. A mom of three, Kate, said, The illustrations are winsome, captivating, effective, and the written content is vibrant, funny, engaging, and above all, biblically and theologically sound. I've read my fair share of Bibles for children, and this is the best I've read. 
The Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids is a family devotional Bible that provides a big picture application view of the biblical narrative. It also helps your family journey through the Bible in one year. You can go visit laughandlearnbible.com for links to order the Bible or the ebook or an audio version, which is read by Phil Vischer himself. The Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids would make a great Christmas gift for any child in your life. Okay, let's get back to my chat with Jonathan. Here we go. So let's go to your own story of once you're in the program, you're a match with a sponsor that, like you said, the poverty piece was met with the help of a sponsor, but then you said the spiritual poverty aspect. How did Christ intersect your life? When I got into the, the center, the first thing that I did was fight. I do remember the the very first day I was accepted into the compassion program. Again, in the in the church, I uh, started fighting. Fight like fighting other kids. Fighting other kids. Okay. Before the clarification, (laughs) yes. So you you were you were just like stirring up fights amongst. I was aggressive. Two blocks away from my neighborhood, I couldn't go there because there was a gang different from a gang in my community. And for many times I got robbed. I had to fight in order to protect my food, for example, or the little little money that I made for the day. And in an environment where your life is at risk every day, when I got into the center, I started fighting because I wanted to prove that I was in, enough to defend myself and I wanted to make clear that nobody to fight with me or mess with me because I'm going to fight and, I, and I'm going to, you know, protect my things. Yeah. And I do remember that I did that and I am very sad and, and ashamed for that. But I did that for five years. I was fighting wow. since I was seven till I was 12. Wow. And all those five years, those people from the church were putting the love of God for me. I do remember the Dulce, her name will go by sweet in English, my compassion project director. She was the daughter of the rich, one of the richest men in the Dominican Republic. She, she will be the daughter of, a, let's say, one of the famous a nice show guys in, in the U.S. And she was the daughter of one of those guys who do shows. And she was... She didn't have any need, and yet she was serving children in the community where I grew up. And I do remember that I was fighting and fighting. And when I was 12, a friend of mine got into a coma Mm. because of a fight that I was involved in. Oh, wow. I wasn't fighting with him, but because we were fighting, he fell down and he knocked his head and he ended up in a coma. Oh, my And for those five years, I was every time... Uh, almost kick it out of the compassion program. In fact, my mom told me uh, maybe four years ago, we were talking and remembering those times. And she said, do you remember that you almost lose the best opportunity of your life? <laughs> I'm sure she remembers. <laughs> she remembered that You've very well. You kept her on her knees. Goodness. Yes. yes. Wow. And, and So with your friend going into a coma, how did that, did that change things for you? Definitely. Not, not because that event made me accept Christ, but that event made me understand something that one of the tutors says at church. She, she said that 
I was not saved because my mom was a Christian. Indeed, she was. She made her decision for Christ because in the church, she also was introduced to the gospel. And she said, it is not because of your mom. It is because you need yourself to have a relationship with God. And that day, sitting in Dulce's office where the police was coming to take me to jail, again, Dulce, as her name goes by sweet, she will tell me, Jonathan, you don't have to fight. Mm. We love you. And that's when I understood the gospel uh, in the sense that God came, sent his only son to die on the cross. And Jesus himself was killed. And he didn't defend himself. Right. And he died for me. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to accept the, the mercy of God. And in the same way, Dulce basically was saying, you don't have to fight to be known. You don't have to fight to be protected. You don't have to fight to be loved. We love you. We know you. And we protect you. In the same way, salvation comes by grace. I don't have to do anything. I just have to receive it. And that's when I say I don't want to keep fighting myself and defending myself. I, I surrender myself and I accept you, Christ. I don't want to end up in again. I don't want to die on the streets. I don't want to be in jail. And I want to be grateful of what God is doing uh, through the church with me. And I, I do believe when I was 12, even though I made my decision for Christ, I say 700 times in the 700 club. <laughs> right, 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 right. The 700 Club, they've repeated here many programs, and they will invite people to make the decision for Christ. And Okay, so you watch the 700 Club and every time, yeah. I watch it because after that event, I just wanted to be safe. And and I do remember they repeat the program one and over again, and I say I, I made my decision for Christ in the 700 Club 700 times. <laughs> and, and that's when I made it. That day changed my life together with another event. That involved my sponsor's letter. Yeah, let me let me hear a little bit about your sponsor. Did you have the same sponsor all the way through? I did have three sponsors through the whole way. Okay. And the first, my first sponsor, Nikki, uh, she sponsored me for two years. And then Jamie Boilema, which is next to Chicago. She is from Michigan, Grand Rapids. Yeah. And she sponsored me for maybe 10 years. And and then at the end of the my time in the program, God blessed me with another sponsor, Grace Cameron, who is a widow and farmer in uh, Michigan as well. Somehow, people from Michigan love me. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So tell me about your sponsor's letter, the story you're about to tell. Because I didn't grow up with my father. Uh, my relationship with him was very complicated. We used to meet once a month in different places. It was an FBI relationship for five minutes. That was my relationship with my father for 18 years. Wow. When I was 14 years old, one of my father's brother came to my house and talked to my mom. I didn't understand what was going on. I just do remember waiting for my father. In fact, waiting for him in places where drugs were in a drug point. I just remember being involved in, in charts like the police will arrive shooting to those guys selling drugs. And I have been waiting for my father since I was five. Now I'm 14. And somehow one day I was introduced to my father's family. I met his wife, my four sisters, like 20 uncles and aunts. I met my grandparents. My grandfather, by the way, passed away six months after I met him. Wow. And for a year, I never told my father that I met his family. I was afraid. Uh, because he never talked about them. 
I didn't understood the complexity. I do remember having questions like why my father is not at home or my mom saying, you have to be a man. We are facing poverty because there is not a responsible man at home. She never talked in a bad way about my father, but she empowers me to understand that I had to provide for my future family. And a year passed. It was almost Thanksgiving. And my father came. He called me and he said, I'm going to, we need to talk. And he was angry. So he drove in his car. And as we did, I met him in in a new place. And I got into the car and he asked me why you did that. And I I told him, why? That's not a way to start a conversation. <laughs> uh, why I did what? Yeah. And he said, you met my family without my permission. Hmm. And then I understood what was the conversation about. It seems like his wife and my sisters talked to him about it. This is a year after. And he said, neither you or my brothers have the permission to get involved in my life. You have to understand that you're a mistake in my life. Oh. And, and being 14 years old, when, as you can tell, two yeah. years before I was almost in jail, now, two years after, this man who, instead of saying that he felt proud of me, that I, my behavior has changed, or that I am not a Christian and I'm attending the church, now he says that I am a mistake. And again, to put things in perspective, I am still fighting with the same poverty. And I started hating my father. In fact, I started to hate God. Mm. It was not in a conscious way, like I wouldn't say I hate you, God. But in many ways, I was asking myself why I was born where I was born. Why I was born in the reality. Heather, we, nobody was asked to be born where we were born. Nobody gave me, gave me a menu. This is one of the things that I mentioned because sometimes people think, well, those in poverty are in poverty because of themselves. Right. Well, not for me. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> asked me. Right. Nobody, you know, I couldn't make decisions to be born in the reality that I was born. I was just born in, in sin, as David said in the Bible. And I was born in the reality where I was born. And I was fighting. I was going to school. But that day, it was Thanksgiving. And Jamie sent me a letter. Jamie was an expert writing letters. She will send letters like, Hello, Jonathan, I'm just sending you a little note to let you know that I'm thinking about you. Mm. Uh, She never knew, but my father will never call me to say that he was thinking about me. Mm. Therefore, this woman, whatever she was, thousands of kilometers away, made my day. Helped me to understand that God, in fact, was thinking about me. Or happy 14 years old birthday, Jonathan. My father have never called me for a birthday, even today, and I'm 29. But the letter, the letter that helped me forgive my father was a Thanksgiving letter. She said, hello, Jonathan. Uh, We are uh, receiving our first Austin of No today on Thanksgiving. And this is a day to reflect on all the things that I am thankful for. And you are one of those that I am greatly thankful for. Uh, it is because of Jesus' birth that we can have hope and assurance of life after death. I don't have the letter with me, and I am just reading out of my mind because this, this is indeed the most important letter. That letter changed my life because of the fact that the answer of God for me and the understanding that I was believing indeed that I was a mistake, I was believing that God 
was not good for me. This letter helped me to understand that God provided this women called Jamie thousands of kilometers away in a place called Michigan, which I didn't know where it was. Celebrating Thanksgiving, which I didn't neither knew what that was, even though I love turkey today. <laughs> I wish we could have Thanksgiving. But these women yeah. wrote a letter to say, I am thankful for you. Mm-hmm. You are special. You're not a mistake. And on the other hand, God has provided Dulce another woman to put out her love into my life and to love me, even though I spent five years starting fights into the Compassion Center or fighting with even tutors, with professors at, at the church. And yet those people have loved me. Therefore, we go back to the grace. Who am I not to forgive my father if I was forgiving as well? And I call my father. And I say, hey, dad, I'm, I'm sorry to be a mistake in your life. I, I'm really sorry. But I'm happy that I am your son. And I wouldn't change who I am. Because now I understand why God has allowed me to go through everything that I have gone. And the second thing, you have to admit that I am the best mistake you have ever made. <laughs> and we were both laughing and crying. And that was a way on how God restored our relationship. But wow. again... Jamie was an important part of these through her letters. That's why I say letter writing is, an, is a discipleship process. Yeah. And, and it was for me. It was for me. It changed my life. Man. Okay. I know what I'm doing this afternoon for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing all of that. And aren't we so thankful, too, for a God who pursues us? that he uses the body of Christ to personally pursue us where we are to remind us of the truth of our worth and our value, that there's nothing we've done that is make that disqualifies us from that love. No fights, no friends in comas, no uh, rejections from people on this earth can keep us from that love. And so I, I know no matter where whoever's listening is that your testimony just then encouraged them to remember that truth and to see the examples in their life of people who have reached out, poured out in times when they felt isolated and alone. And so this is your personal story. I, I know for me recently, I went to um, Mexico and met uh, several migrants traveling through Mexico because of the uh, instability in their own countries in the Northern Triangle a lot of gang violence and extortion and just good people trying to live their lives, keep their children safe, not want their teen sons to be recruited into gangs, um, wanting to have a living. They just have good businesses and half of their incomes being taken by gangs. And what God put in my heart was this desire to help stabilize those communities. But oftentimes as Americans, we can jump in with doing and do more damage than good. I feel like the work of compassion helps stabilize. And it's a small way for the, especially the moms listening who feel the burden, but don't have um, a way to fly over there or feel like it's not the time for them to start their own non-for-profit. And they feel kind of an angst, like I want to help, but I don't know how to help. And I feel like compassion is a great way for them to step into this and to write the letters and to encourage that child. 
what kind of community impacts have you seen both as, you know, on the administrative side of compassion and just as uh, your own experience? What have you seen? That's a great question, Heather, and also a great introduction of, of the reality of immigration. But just to give you an example, uh, in, in the context of my own family, we all come from stream poverty. And on the other hand, we also come from uh, a, a witchcraft lifestyle, oh, like worshiping idols. And, mm. and just to give you an example, my mom who actually studied philosophy, and because of the situation that happened with her uncle, she ended up on the streets and she couldn't finish her, her school. Uh, but my mom, while I was attending the Compassion Center, she, she became a cook at the church as a volunteer. And then she became a tutor. And meanwhile, I was attending the church. She started attending university. And my mom graduated uh, in a bachelor degree on education. So now she's a professor. Mm. And now, uh, in fact, uh, she never gets tired of studying because she already has a master and she now, she's finishing another master. Uh, she's 52 right mm. now. She's just getting started. Yes. And we're not in poverty anymore. And the same reality for my family my generation, who are the second generation of being in poverty, we're all becoming professional, finishing bachelor degrees in university or already in my case, and doing master's degree right now. And most of my family now follow Christ. My grandfather and grandmother, who both were witchcraft or idol worshippers, they die as Christians. Wow. I think it's kind of, it's probably blowing the person's mind who's listening that maybe hasn't even traveled internationally to consider that witchcraft and idol worship is still a thing in this era. I, I, I have a feeling in their mind that they, that's something in their Old Testament and not in the present. And so even you sharing that that was your reality and that God overcame and broke those generational bonds is... That's definitely uh, an example of, of changing a community from your family standpoint and even for you professionally and what God's doing for you. Definitely. And to add a small piece of what you're saying in terms of immigration, of course, the work of the church and in compassion is being a stabilization to the countries. Because in my case, for example, I used to work with the United Nations and with the Commission of Human Rights fighting HIV, fighting poverty, working with the World Bank group. Besides that, I had a degree on public policies from the Leadership Institute and the Heritage Foundation in, in, in Washington, D.C. And I have been serving uh, children and youth in poverty for all my career. And now I work for Compassion and traveling Australia, all of the U.S., Canada, and speaking on this issue of poverty and also making proposals, now I'm working with the government on, basically the government is, wants to learn from Compassion in the DR on what we do in order to fight poverty. Hmm. Someone like me who, by the way, also speak English, one of the things for me will be like, oh, I can go to the U.S. and leave my country. But just so you know, my feeling is I, sh I will not leave my country. 
I have a responsibility to be part of the solution of the issues that my country is fighting. That's only to give you an example on how changing the life of a child, bringing the child with the responsibility that we are the ones to fight for our own reality, just like you are fighting for the realities in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And there is the sense of I have a responsibility to give back. That's what I'm doing now in my country. That's why I work for Compassion. I love it. I feel like as Americans, there's sometimes we can respond to global issues out of fear and actually raise up another generation of enemies. Or we can respond with compassion and intentionality to build up the next generation of future leaders who change a community that they know intimately. We have our own culture here in America. We could never understand the culture of Dominican Republic, but you can, Jonathan, because you know the ins and outs of the complexities in a way that I never can. And so it's not like this savior coming in as if I'm an American and I can fix it for you. I think, um, but God did allocate resources to America. And for such a time as this, we can partner with with people um, around the world who are on the ground there. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for your work and what God's done and through Jamie and all your, all your sponsors. I'm amazed at all the women in your life too, uh, that God has built up and restoring that relationship with your dad. And thank you for being on the show today. It was such an inspiration for me. And I'm definitely going to go write another letter to Putra in Indonesia right now. <laughs> and, um, I just, I'm going to keep praying for you and the work that you're doing, uh, So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. So at the beginning of the show, you heard that we have been sponsoring through Compassion for over 20 years. It's been a part of our story as we've parented and our kids have watched these kids grow up. And even now, one of our children that we sponsored has graduated. He's an adult and we're friends on Facebook. He wishes me a happy birthday now. It's such a sweet relationship. My youngest son and our current child we sponsor from Indonesia they draw pictures back and forth to each other. And I just, I love seeing that relationship grow. Another one of my sons was walking our neighbor. She's a widow who um, had a brain aneurysm. And so she can't walk her dog. So he was walking her dog and the money that she would pay him for that, he was putting towards sponsoring a child. There's super creative ways to give our kids global perspective and ingenuity. And like I said earlier, to change the system. Two things I'm inviting you into today. One is if you already are a sponsor, Write your child a letter. You heard from Jonathan the power of those words, the impact they have, um, how it it just matters, how they notice who's getting more letters than the other. And so it's a simple way for us to pour into the lives of those people around the world that we are, are helping out financially, but also emotionally and spiritually. Two, if you've thought about sponsorship or maybe you've heard about it or maybe you've never done it, never heard of it, I am inviting you to sponsor a child today and I'm making it super easy Uh, There's a phone number you can text the word Heather to. It's 833-93-TEXT-HEATHER, and you will get a picture of a child. You click on that picture, you will sponsor that specific child today. The pictures they have of children aren't like potential kids. That is a child waiting in the system to be chosen. So you can be the one that picks them if you just text Heather to 833-93. That's 833-93. 9-3. Text the word Heather. And I'd mentioned at the beginning 
if you've ever been curious to see a behind the scenes, a Compassion International representative came and filmed me interviewing Jonathan. It was actually kind of a crazy morning, like I said, and there's lots of videos of my cat, (sighs) Eliza Hamilton. So go check that out at compassion.com forward slash don't mom alone. And when you sponsor a child, you will be given the gift of the book, The Shrewd Samaritan by Bruce Weidick. He took the parables of the Good Samaritan and the shrewd manager. He's an economist and he's helping us figure out how do we take that compassion that we feel for the global poverty inequality issue and be wise and how we manage our resources He actually asked Compassion International if he could look into their financials and how they run their operation, and he found them to be a very effective way to changing the story around poverty and how to intervene. So you will get a copy of that when you go over to Compassion.com forward slash Don't Mom Alone. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we are humbled that you invite us into the work you're doing. We thank you that we know You are God and we are not. I thank you for how you saw Jonathan. You saw the women that would help him. You saw his story and how you would redeem those relationships and reconcile him to his father. I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see who you want us to see today, discernment to know what is ours to do and what is not ours to do, guidance in how we lead our children to follow after your heart and what breaks your heart and to let go of anything that is not from you to be wise stewards of the things that you've given us, of our time, of our money, of our resources, and that we can trust you, that you are the God that gives peace that passes understanding in circumstances we don't understand, suffering and poverty that just does not feel fair, God. It doesn't feel like you're seeing or you're helping and that we can believe truth about who you are and what you're doing, and that we can join you in that. I pray for whoever is listening that you would comfort their hearts, that you would give them the peace to know who you are outside of the spaces you've given them, and they can trust you. They can follow you with their whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.